Welcome back. You are listening to another episode of Chaos on the Set, a chaotic movie and TV show podcast. Uh, we have your usual hosts here today. I'm Mike. I'm Shruti. I'm Kate. And today we are discussing a film many years in the making, a film that I was largely anticipating, and I believe one of the best films of the entire year, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Mike, would you say this was your like number one most anticipated movie of 2022? The way you talked about it, it really felt like that for me. Oh, 100%. Um, I'm, it's funny because Turning Red was my most anticipated movie of 2022. So really, the animation is coming out strong this year. Or I guess it's now 2023, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My most anticipated film of 2022. Um, I've been anticipating this film for many years since the moment it was announced, actually. And I remember like vividly kind of where I was. I don't know the exact time frame, but I remember being in college um, at at Citrus TV, like reading a tweet or whatever about Netflix developing Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, seeing the rumored cast um, and being like absolutely thrilled. So that was, you know. That was probably at least four or five years ago. Yeah, Netflix point. acquired it in 2018. So your yeah. memory matches up. It, it, yeah. it was announced, Del Toro announced that this would be his project in 2008. So it's been many, many years in the making and went through development hell and all that stuff that we'll get into. But it has been a long time coming for sure. Yes. And, and you know, as both of you know, I've always been an ardent Pinocchio fan. Mm-hmm. I think it's the best Disney animated film. So um, to get another one with with this spin on it, I was very excited and um, it's met and exceeded my expectations. But this is the first time both of you have ever seen any single adapted work of Pinocchio, even though there's oh, been Kate, you too. literally you another Pinocchio. Yeah, I the only exposure I have to Disney's Pinocchio is a video of Mike in the newsroom at Citrus TV <laughs> singing No Strings on Me. A classic. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> For those who don't know, by the way, Citrus TV is the TV station the three of us met and worked at together back in Syracuse. Real full circle moment here. Um, <laughs> but yes, of all of the more than a dozen adaptations of Pinocchio, both of you have seen none of them. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely none. But what was your... I guess your general thoughts on Guillermo del Toro's vision for Wait, this sorry. acclaimed I, story. Can I, before we answer, ask you a question? Sure. I, I know we're going to get into like all of the Pinocchio adaptations and comparing them in the past, but what other than the Italianness, what makes you love Pinocchio so much? <laughs> I don't know. I don't oh my know. God. I'm just like it's so bizarre how much you love it's it. It's like... just the Italianism of it. <laughs> I, Case closed. I, that's definitely part of it, but. No, I don't know. For whatever reason, I'm just like so drawn to the story. I think the Disney version of Pinocchio, um, what probably drew me to that originally when I was younger is how outlandish it is. Mm-hmm. Like the the Disney version um, is it's honestly kind of scary for a kid, I would think. I've heard um, people have gotten nightmares from it. Yeah, and there are certain points of the Disney version that are more true to the original Pinocchio story from the 19th century. There's parts of Guillermo del Toro's that are that are more accurate. So they like, each adaptation takes its own bits and pieces, but um, in the original Disney, like he goes to Pleasure Island and turns into a donkey. Like there's all this shit that's going on 
Um, but I don't know. It's just always been a story that that I've enjoyed. Um, and really, it is it is a story with acclaim around the world, given its popularity over um, over centuries and and how many times it's been adapted. I'm not the only one out there with a Pino- with a Pinocchio obsession. I, I know you're not, but it's just like, Mike, when you love things like you, it's like Pinocchio, Lord of the Rings and like the Godfather, I feel like are the three things you love most in the world. <laughs> but I really only found about Pinocchio recently. And it's I'm, I, I would say I feel like I'm infected by your love for it. Like, I really love how much you love it. <laughs> I look I feet away from me. I have a Pinocchio mar- marionette that I bought <laughs> six years ago when oh I was my in gosh. Italy. Um, and I have I have the book. I have the book right here, which I'm holding up on this Zoom recording from <laughs> oh my gosh. when we I, we studied Pinocchio in Italian class in college. Like it was a key piece of literature that we which read class, just like Italian language or was it like a literature class? No, it was, it was an Italian language class, but it was one of the more advanced classes. It wasn't just like Italian mm-hmm. 201 or something. It was specific to italian literature i i actually lied i do have one exposure to one pinocchio story have you seen the pinocchio's like christmas movie no you're gonna (laughs) no you guys are gonna oh i guess technically shrek 2 is one of them but no this is nerd kate coming out pinocchio is featured in kingdom hearts the video game really (laughs) and and in the game in, in their their little world they get swallowed by the monster and they're like in its stomach and the whole there's a whole story that takes place there as part of the game so i've i i know about pinocchio guys i'm an expert wait in the original pinocchio story do they also get swallowed by like a whale a dogfish yeah oh interesting okay dogfish um well anyway mike to answer your original question about how we felt about it i again obviously know nothing about pinocchio really the only thing i knew about pinocchio going into the movie is you know he's a wooden boy geppetto makes him and his nose grows when he lies and so i feel like not knowing that much was kind of fun because i was just instead of watching this as an adaptation i was watching it as an original movie almost not that i want to give del toro credit for making an original movie but it was genuinely stunning like every shot is you don't want to peel your eyes away i originally started watching this movie over a month ago because we were supposed to cover it over a month ago and it was a really stressful weekend and so I was like okay I know I'm not gonna be able to finish this movie but let me just start it and I had to go to a holiday party that night and I was like I literally don't want to tear myself away from the screen like and it wasn't even like the plot that was so compelling it was the visuals that I was like I don't want to look at anything other than this television right now so high high review for me I would say Catherine <laughs> I had you guys know I had a dilemma over this movie. Um, I thought it was amazing, but I will never ever watch it again in my entire life <laughs> because it's very heavy, um, mm-hmm. and very dark and very heavy. And it was definitely tough to watch, which obviously you don't expect going into an animated film. Uh, usually, you know, because but but that's what I, I liked about this movie is that I think Del Toro kind of proved like. Like, you know, like like some films have in the last few years, animated films that no animated films are not just for children to tell lighthearted stories. They can it's like a it's the best medium for storytelling and you can tell absolutely amazing stories through animation. And I think he proved that 
He said um, it in his Golden Globe speech. He said this yes. movie isn't for kids, but you can watch it with kids. And that animation is not for kids. It's a medium, which yeah. I always appreciate. Yeah. It's not I'm a genre. He, I'm glad he said that, but I am truly worried about all the families <laughs> who are like, oh, Pinocchio on Netflix. Let's have the kids watch it. And then the kids are fucking traumatized. I think it. making it clear that it is a Guillermo del Toro movie and he's so obsessed with like his monsters and, you know, obviously makes very very dark shit that hopefully parents know that they should just put it on in front of their kids i really think the average family or the average parents who maybe aren't film buffs will not know that going into but it see, the average i've i've read film buffs and want to put something in front of their kids will just put on disney plus and not netflix yeah i will so Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio got a very short theatrical release mm-hmm. as we've seen, you know, over the over the course of the last couple of years with Netflix films. Um, and so I was lucky enough to go see it in theaters and th- they weren't kids. They were, I don't know, the one kid was maybe, I don't know, maybe he's like 10 or eight. So he was like, he was, I think he was probably old enough to watch it, but I it definitely, I don't think was what, his older sister was expecting probably bringing him to the movie um, <laughs> because you could tell like halfway through the kid was just disengaged. It was one of those theaters with the reclining seats and he just kept fucking playing with the button. Oh, and going oh and my God, I would have. But regardless, I've read reviews, like really funny reviews on Letterboxd of people saying that they saw it in theaters and then like all of a sudden a family walked in and sat down and was like totally unprepared for what they were going to watch. But I do think like to a certain extent, the way that it handles like the really dark and heavy issues is so delicate and so real um, that I do think to a certain extent, it would still be somewhat appropriate to show a child, like maybe not a very young child. It it might scare them, but um, you know, I don't think it's necessarily just for, adults either but like we said i love what guillermo del toro said about animation not being a genre but a medium Mm -hmm. right there's a lot of different stories you can tell and sometimes it's just you know animation is just subjected and and pigeonholed into being one thing that it isn't always so right i don't even really know if kids would totally understand what's happening especially when you hit all of like the nazi stuff and like yeah the like war and fascism stuff i wonder if they'd be like who's this who's mussolini Mussolini? yeah yeah (laughs) i was shocked to see benito mussolini in this movie but it's it's honestly my favorite part about the movie is the inclusion of fascism and we'll get i've never seen I've never seen Mussolini, like, I've never seen a film where Mussolini was in it. I'll just say that now. Like, I've seen films with Hitler in it, but, okay, sorry, this is off topic. (laughs) I mean, not completely off topic. But it's a very important, I think a very important piece to the plot is the fascism and uh, making fun of Il Dolce, Dolce. as, as Pinocchio calls him. So let's talk, I guess, more about the actual the the construction of the film all of the individual pieces that make it what it is right and i think probably the best place to start is with that stunning animation um itself to me this is unlike 
really hardly anything else I've ever seen in terms of animation. Obviously. Oh, interesting. There's been other stop motion films, uh, particularly like some that come to mind are Wes Anderson and Isle of Dogs. Chicken Run. Uh, Chicken Run. (laughs) But I don't know. This Pinocchio felt like it had this sense of, of realness to it. Everything felt so so alive whereas sometimes i feel like stop motion can feel quite quite rigid um i know the the production alone was astounding where they spent three years making it and at some points had over 60 small different small stages um to shoot all of these different scenes but i guess like what are your what are your thoughts on the animation process and and how it compares to maybe some other films that we've seen recently yeah i mean i just really respect the commitment to doing this as stop motion you know it as we were discussing earlier it took so long to make this movie and I think in uh 2017 del Toro did an interview with IndieWire saying that like they need a budget increase by 35 million to make this movie or it's going to get canceled and somebody was like one of the producers on the project were like okay let's explore doing this as a 2d option not in stop motion and he's like no it has to be stop motion um which i really respect like i think that it really comes through visually and artistically the world is like just the carnival sequence i was watching like this behind the scenes featurette on how they get into the carnival and i'm like that is beautiful. I saw also this interview with IndieWire that uh, Del Toro did saying that the wooden boy happens to come to life in an environment in which citizens are told to behave in obedient, almost puppet-like faithfulness. And so using puppets to animate this world where like you have this fascist regime and you have everyone kind of being told to obey, it the symbolism is so layered that I am very impressed by it. Yeah, it's yeah. just amazing to me that Everything that we saw on the screen was handcrafted and it's probably took because stop motion is millions and millions of like they're just move, isn't it like they just move the piece and then they, they take a shot and then they move it a little bit more. So they were I can't imagine how long that took. And then for those scenes where it's like they're on the open sea or like they're in the war camp or like they're like where they had to build these sets. Mm-hmm. It's it's really crazy to me because I. I respect the hell out of animation and like you guys know like some of my favorite recent movies are like Into the Spider-Verse and like Puss in Boots and the animation is so beautiful but to like like that's talent but then to like craft those things yourselves and then like painstakingly move those pieces around this world you've built like you know manually that's insane to me. And it is animation, but they obviously Del Toro is a famous live action director and they really used live action references to the point where Del Toro had animators film themselves performing that shot like a live action shot, blocking mm-hmm. it like a live action shot and then actually doing it, you know, through the stop motion animation. So I th- again, the commitment to making it seem like this is actually how people would move in this world, how monkeys would move in this world. You know, all of these creatures are really moving in such an organic lived in way. The, the thing guys... that is, oh, yeah, sorry, I was going to say the thing that stood out to me, the, to me the most when I was watching one of those sort of behind the scenes making of interviews um, was when they were talking about animating mistakes, right. To give that lifelike quality, mm-hmm. you know, you want to animate people, like the way they're going to act and move in in everyday life, right? With a live action film, 
as a director, Guillermo del Toro was explaining, like, you're begging for a mistake, a slight line reading that's different. Or, you know, if you reach for a plate, sometimes you you fumble with it before actually picking it up. So that was what they were trying to convey in the animation as well. And like one of the prime examples of that, and it's something so little, but like when Carlo comes into the house for the first time after going on the swing, he doesn't shut the door all of the way, has to turn around again and then and then push it close. It's like the the smallest details um really bring out that lifelike quality to everything. Yeah, I didn't notice that, Dorothy. That's amazing. Wow. There's like behind the scenes videos where they sped up their filming process and they show just the hands constantly moving the puppets. Like they do like a time lapse and they just show like it's sped up and the hands are moving them, moving them, moving them so that they could just get each shot. I think that's insane. Yeah. Any Anybody who watches this film, I would highly recommend to watch. Um, Netflix has about a half hour video of the behind the scenes making of and they do a lot of interviews and such. So that's a great, um, great watch after seeing Pinocchio to really get detail on how everything was was constructed and all the different rigs they used and even like creating everything to scale right it almost reminded me of lord of the rings in a sense where mm-hmm. in lord of the rings they were doing that force perspective with gandalf and frodo to get the different heights and um you know for certain shots in lord of the rings they had a giant like for the close ups they had a golden ring that was like the size of a basketball um and similarly, in Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, they had to build all of the figurines to different scales as well, particularly for um, Pinocchio and Sebastian J. Cricket, right? They had like mm-hmm. a very large Pinocchio, um, and then they had very miniature crickets for the scenes where he is um, is squashed by the hammer and by the book. Um, so th- the attention to detail, too, was just um, outstanding. Yeah, I really appreciate Del Toro like committing to this too because I feel like as technology just gets more and more insane and this like animation gets, you know, more what's the word? Like just technologically advanced. Mm-hmm. I feel like people are going to turn less and less to stop motion. I feel like back back, you know, like 50, 60, 70 years ago it it was used a lot because they wanted to accomplish things that maybe they didn't have the ability to do with just like animation you know they didn't have the technology but now i'm like it's 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 nice that he stayed dedicated to it Uh, especially just for being such a painstaking process right like they they could have made this film so much quicker right if Mm -hmm. they just animated it as you as you typically would um but sort of shifting topics now because i feel like another huge piece in terms of bringing this film to life, right? On one hand, you have the animation, and I think coinciding with that is the voice acting, which I feel like sometimes people take for granted the importance of good voice acting, but uh, this cast is unbelievably, so good. unbelievably good. Um, and perhaps my favorite is which I don't know how many people know this until maybe they've seen the credits roll. But I particularly, because I love her and everything that she does, Kate Blanchett as the monkey, (laughs) as Spazzatura. I don't Um, understand how she was the monkey. I just don't get it. 
Mike, maybe you can corroborate this. I listened to a podcast that said after Nightmare Alley, Kate mm-hmm. Blanchett was like so obsessed with working with Del Toro that she was like, I will take any role. And that's how she ended up being the voice <laughs> He of was Mikey. like, do you want and to be the fucking monkey? Well, he, he said, the, yes, exactly. Well, she said, you need to put me in Pinocchio. And he said, the only role we have left is the monkey. Um, <laughs> no. Yes, yeah. And it's funny because when you see Kate Blanchett, um, and you see Pinocchio, I think a lot of people, like one of my friends told me he didn't realize until the end, but he assumed that she was the voice of, of the Sprite in death. The two. No, that's Tilda. That's Tilda Swinton. But yeah, you know, that's what people I think maybe assumed with Kate Blanchett, but it was amazing to see. I saw clips of her voicing the monkey and she put a lot of thought into it. Like, you know, like what kind of noises she was making. I think she studied like actual primate sounds for, for months. And that like, she, you could tell she was very dedicated I'm obsessed um, with her. <laughs> to the role and, and made the monkey a star. The, the <laughs> monkey Spazzatura was, was a key component of um, the film. But another favorite of mine is Christoph Waltz um, as Count Volpe brings so much specificity and intrigue to that character with his voice inflection. And I, I know Guillermo del Toro specifically had him, had him in mind for his ability to speak multiple languages, right? right. Particularly his ability to switch between languages mid sentence, right? He'll be saying something and then he'll throw in a French word or an Italian word or a German word. And he's so that character is so, conniving and so uh so shifty it, it almost reminds me of his role as Hans Landa in Inglorious Bastards which complete 180 <laughs> from Pinocchio but also fascist times yeah there. Both fascist so it does powers. <laughs> both fascist powers but it, it's a similar feel from from his character I think um and I think he did a great job but what are some of your favorite uh voice actors in the rest of the cast okay i have to admit that pinocchio's voice did start to great it started to great it it was oh papa you're right these new necks are so much better than my old legs like uh (laughs) it was frustrating but what i did like and he does it with tilda swinton voicing both the wood sprite and death and you know the voice actor for pinocchio is also the same voice actor as carlo like Mm -hmm. again the symbolism and meaning behind these choices that del toro makes that like no this real boy and pinocchio who wants to be a real boy are the same or you know the creature that brings life and the creature that brings death are voiced by the same person so like creating that full circle whole mentality i thought was really dope and then as a game of thrones fan were you obsessed with David Bradley as Geppetto? Um, oh, I, that's me as a Harry Potter fan. Who is he in Harry Potter? He's the um, the house the housekeeper of Hogwarts, the really nasty, grouchy Filch? one. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I don't really like him in Harry Potter. Yeah, but he's in Harry Potter. <laughs> I guess he's, he's not really great in Game of Thrones either. He's he's, he's always he's the not. villain. He's um, not. I liked Ewan McGregor. <laughs> he was oh, always fun. yes. And how we, he keeps we trying to sing his song. It keeps getting cut yeah. off. I like that he finally got to sing it in the credits. <laughs> we shouldn't gloss over Ewan McGregor. I mean, the narrator, I mean, he's really the main character, I think, mm-hmm. of the film. And his voice is just so 
so poetic and so powerful but endearing at the same time uh he really carried it i think with with that performance oh also the decision to you know instead of having him be like just pinocchio's conscience to be to be like oh no he's working on his memoirs which i thought were really (laughs) funny um and then he's just like instructed to help him out so it's less of a like preachery no pinocchio do the right thing type thing which could have gotten really old really fast but again i again as has been expressed on other podcasts got frustrated when they couldn't just explain to Pinocchio why he shouldn't go join the carnival or et cetera, whatever. Um, you guys know, I love voice acting and I follow a lot of voice actors and, uh, it's that weirdly, I, I know more voice actors probably than live action actors, which is a problem sometimes. But, um, I really thought it was funny that, Mussolini is voiced by Tom Kenny and Tom Kenny is the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> so wait, that Sp- is so funny. So SpongeBob was the one that said, shoot him when he wanted <laughs> Pinocchio dead. Um, and then I had a question for you guys. What do you think about Finn Wolfhard being in this film as Candlewick? Do you guys think that was Netflix just being like, we got to put in one of our stranger things, kids in this film? Uh, I'd, I'd like to think that, Guillermo, I hope Guillermo del Toro had all of the decisions based off yeah. of who was voice acting. Also, I'm not sure how much it really markets Stranger Things. Like, I yeah. honestly didn't realize it was Finn Wolfhard until after the fact. And I wasn't like, now I really feel I, like watching Stranger Things. Yeah. I, I, I realized he, it was him. And then I was like, I personally didn't think he did a very good job. But that's just he, me. It's No, his is my least favorite. Um, yeah. Especially upon a rewatch, I think it really stands out that it's him. Because... Mm-hmm listening to it it's just weird to me knowing that it's like him trying to do like a an accent an accent but also like a younger kid's voice yeah um is what i think threw me off a little i think it could have it could have worked like five or six years ago when he was like actually a kid and was starting out on stranger things but to have him like now as a 20 year old man be like i'm candlewick i'm a little boy you know what though to be fair um I believe I was I was reading that they had to do the voice acting prior to the animation, mm. right? So that the the animators could match all of the movement and the mouth movement to yeah the, to the audio. Um, and considering it shot, it took them three years to shoot. It is quite possible that it was maybe recorded yeah. several years ago. Now yeah, that they, I'm putting they two always... and two together. They always do that with um, with animated features. They always record the voices and then match up the yeah. lip flaps. And it, it's interesting because then with things like anime where they have to dub over, you know, already existing animation, there's like, I feel like there's like voice actors like they get for these animated features that are actually like big already feature film actors who then want to delve into voice acting then you have the crop voice actors who are like we have to match the lip flaps like we like dub over shit all the time um, and imagine how painstaking that has to be with stop motion in particular oh to god like do all of that by hand make those little mouth movements yeah match yeah that must frame by been. frame jesus but yeah all around i think the the casting decisions for the voice actors um were were really great yeah Especially even Ron Perlman, even Ron Perlman is Podesta and uh, John Turturro with his like two lines is the Dottore. Um, Mm -hmm. I really, really enjoyed. 
So we've already kind of pointed out that this was really me and Shruti's first um, Pinocchio experience where we've watched a piece of Pinocchio media all the way through. But Michael is a diehard Pinocchio stan. So, Mike, we just wanted to ask you how this kind of held up against other Pinocchio adaptations. How is it different? Um, Kind of what your thoughts are when it comes to where it is in the long line of Pinocchio media that exists. For sure. And um, I'll get into, you know, some specifics about how these adaptations differ from one to another and particularly how they relate back to the original story. Um, But first I'll just state that this is definitely my favorite of all (laughs) the Pinocchios that I've seen. Um, The Disney one also being fantastic and probably my second favorite. Um, But I've seen some other ones like there was a 2019 Pinocchio um, from an Italian director, Matteo Garone starring Roberto Benigni. That one was as Geppetto. That one was okay. Um, There's a Pinocchio with Roberto Benigni where he plays Pinocchio. And that is like notoriously horrible. I tried watching it. I did (laughs) not finish it. Um, So there's all of these different adaptations. There's more even that I haven't seen. There's the new Disney live action one starring Tom Hanks. Oh, I thought Uh, you had seen that. Yeah, I had watched it. I didn't watch it because... Because you knew you were going to hate it. (laughs) I just like in the year of Pinocchio, which this is the year of Pinocchio. We had we have the Disney live action. We have Guillermo del Toro's and then we have whatever the fuck. When can I go out and be on my own? (laughs) Oh, it's so bad. It's nightmare fuel. So, no, I didn't. I didn't watch the Lionsgate nightmare fuel one. And I haven't gotten around to watching the Disney one just because I didn't want the Guillermo one to be spoiled for me. I wanted the freshest lens with that. And the Dude. Disney one came out first and I heard it wasn't particularly good. And uh, Tom Hanks looked a bit ridiculous as Geppetto. Oh. So I just wasn't, I wasn't with it. Are you going to go back and watch yeah. it? Probably. Yeah. And, I'll give it a shot just to be able to compare. And gay Pinocchio and Lionsgate. What? Is you know, on TikTok, no, it's not called Gay Pinocchio, but everyone was like, when it came out, it was all over TikTok because he goes like, father, and, he, and everyone's like, he's a little fruity. And then in the trailer, <laughs> God. but then in the trailer, he goes to the circus and he's like, there's this girl puppet that he falls in love with. And everyone's like, he's straight. <laughs> yeah, not going to watch that Pinocchio. Oh, but so I um, guess I'll start with laying the groundwork of like what the story of Pinocchio is in in the book itself. And then I can talk some differences of between the different adaptations. So historically the book is very dark. That's yeah. why I was excited that Guillermo del Toro's was dark because it's, it's the most, I think faithful to that sort of um, aura about the film, right? Not necessarily in terms of plot, but the feeling of of this darkness and this heaviness um, that certainly exists in the book. Like for instance, Pinocchio kills kills the cricket within like two seconds in the book. <gasps> Wait, like, intentionally? Yeah. Like the, premeditated murder? Like, fuck you, I don't well, know. Well, no, Pinocchio, Pinocchio <laughs> claims it was an accident, but essentially the cricket tells him in the book like, you know, tells him to obey, tells him to respect his father. Pinocchio gets pissed off. The cricket 
says something about him being stupid and having a wooden head. And then Pinocchio throws a hammer at him and kills the cricket. Oh my God. Um, God. Yes. And then there's a few times like throughout the rest of the book where the ghost of the cricket appears and tries to warn Pinocchio, but he does kill him on like page three of the book. Okay. So Pinocchio kills the talking cricket. That's the first sort of like dark thing that happens in the book. But then from there on, it just, it continues and it gets even more fucked up. Right. So Pinocchio um, skips school to go to the circus. He meets Manja Fuoco, fire eater is what it translates to. He is the Stromboli character, for instance, in the Disney version. And also Manja Fuoco exists in Guillermo del Toro's version, but he's just a background character. He's the big guy with the beard. Manja Fuoco, um, he ends up letting Pinocchio go, gives him five gold coins. And on the way home, because Pinocchio is going to bring these coins to his father, the fox and the cat trick him into believing that if he goes and plants these five coins in the field of miracles, they'll grow into a money tree. And then he'll have like 2000 gold coins. So Pinocchio is very easily swayed, um, gets duped, goes to this field of miracles on the way there. The fox and cat abandon him. And then they come back. They come back as assassins. Oh my God. What is happening? (laughs) They come back as assassins. Pinocchio's being attacked. um, And he's hiding the gold coins in his mouth. And the cat is trying to pry the gold coins out of his mouth. And Pinocchio (laughs) bites off his paw. Oh my God. Yep. And then eventually the assassins get him. And they hang him from the tree. They literally hang him by a rope from this tree. I... <laughs> Pinocchio's like dying. And then the fairy goes and like saves Pinocchio. And then again, he comes across the cat and the fox, except they're pretending to be normal again. And the cat is missing a paw and Pinocchio what? does not put two and two together. Why do the cat and fox want to kill him so badly? They just want to steal his money. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so it's dark, right? Like he's hung, he bites off the hand, he kills the cricket. Um, Geppetto goes to look for Pinocchio. He's swallowed by the dogfish. Uh, Pinocchio goes to Toyland with Candlewick. They turn into donkeys. Pinocchio sold to the circus. He's thrown into the ocean to drown. The fish eats the donkey skin on him and he just turns back into a puppet. And then he's eaten by the dogfish. Um and then eventually they escape. He returns home. He's a good boy. The fairy turns him into a real boy. This very like spread speeding through the plot here, but like there's a ton of fucked up shit that happens in the Pinocchio book. And there's well, a lot of violence. Quite I, frankly. I, I read that um, Del Toro wanted to cut as much magic out of the story as possible and make it as like a much of a real world thing as he could with this magic puppet whose nose grows every time he lies. Um, which is why he ended up cutting the fox and the cat and the magic donkey. But. Yeah, there's there's a lot. And that's what the Disney version is, is more sort of in line with the book where there is the fox and the cat and he does go to, you know, Pleasure Island and turns into a donkey, all of these things. What is Pleasure Island? You Pleasure, know, I was kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, Pleasure Island is, uh, in the book, it's referred to as Toyland. Okay, yeah, I read Toyland. Um, but so in the Disney version, they call it Pleasure Island. It's basically the kids go there thinking that it's like no work and all play. And then 
they turn into donkeys. Wow, this is super yeah. dark. <laughs> yeah, it's it's some it's some crazy shit. I will say though, in Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, um, he does make uh it, sort of an ode to the fox by naming Christoph Waltz's character Count Volpe, Volpe being the Italian word for fox. Um, um, so there is that little bit of of an inclusion there. Um, but in general, the the main theme of the Pinocchio book is, uh, you know, be good, work hard, and study. And the, the main reason behind this is that Carlo Collodi, the author, was a soldier during the unification of Italy. Um, he's a big, like, big believer in, the, in a united Italy because Italy used to be all of these different separate city-states in, in the eight, mid-1800s. They were warring, and they were finally unified. Um, and so he really sought out to unify the people culturally through this work. And he believed that, you know, for people to be unified, you know, they needed that public education. They needed, um, that work ethic. They needed to have a common, a common reality and sense. So that's really, that's the message of, of the Pinocchio book was this unification, hard work you know, don't lie, be a good boy, go to school, help your father, all of, all of this stuff. Um, and the Disney version, I think also picks up on a similar sense, right. Of like this, this moral fiber, um, you know, P Pinocchio gets into his hijinks by, by lying, by, um, disobeying. And that's why you have Jiminy Cricket acting as his conscience and, you know, the fairy in the Disney version tells Pinocchio, you know, she will grant him this life if he is brave, truthful and unselfish. So the Disney version, again, trying to trying to align there. Um, Wait, what I yeah. In the original Pinocchio or any of the adaptations, do they also all end with like him needing to tell a lot of lies and grow his nose to get them out of a bad situation? Or is that? I assume that happened in all of them. So you're saying like when he makes his bridge out of yeah. his nose? Exactly. Um, not in all of them, I don't oh, think. Oh, interesting. I thought yeah, it was no. like integral to the plot to have a nose grow plot saving. <laughs> no, no, I don't think it's integral that he's like encouraged to lie for like for like good lies. I think, yeah. I think the integral piece there is him helping his father, him coming full circle and not being selfish, not disobeying, but instead helping people. I think that's the the key unifier amongst all of that. Um, but what I enjoy most about the Del Toro version is that he takes all of this, right? All of this messaging supplants it into 1930s fascist Italy and all of a sudden the message is contrarian. It's maybe it's okay to not obey. Maybe it's okay to not go with the order of things because, you know, and you see it in these little scenes where Pinocchio is just like, I want to go to war. And, and Geppetto's like, no, but war is bad. And Pinocchio's like, we have to obey the law, even if it's bad. And he says, yes, it's, it's the law. And you even see on the, the fascist posters throughout the little Italian town, the, the Italian words, credere, obedere, combattere, um, 
believe, obey, and fight. And there's all those messages of he's a good Italian soldier and he's the, you know, the perfect embodiment of it. And whereas like, that's the message of the Disney one. That's the message of the book. Whereas it's good to obey. You shouldn't tell lies. Um, I think Guillermo del Toro takes the stance that obeying fascism and these bad things um, is exactly what you shouldn't do. It doesn't get you anywhere. And I think it's a, it's a particularly powerful message sort of in the world we're living in now where across the world we see um, in some countries, in, including our own sometimes fascism on the rise. So um, I very much respected that that plot device. Do you think the original Disney Pinocchio movie coming out during World War II, do you think that maybe impacted Del Toro too to be like, oh yeah, let's set it in World War II? I just thought it was interesting that it takes place, the film takes place like the same decade that the original Pinocchio, Disney's Pinocchio was released in the 1940s. This is just yeah, an observation. Yeah. I don't no, know. It's if definitely any... <laughs> it's it's a good question. Um, you know, I think there, there's a little bit of a time difference there, right? Because Pinocchio came out, Disney's Pinocchio came out in 1940. Mm-hmm. Um, and Del Toro's is is probably set five to ten years prior. Oh, um, okay. But there's definitely like watching Del Toro's version, you could pick up on like where I think he took some inspiration from, right? Like there's certain points that are more in line with the book itself but then there's definitely some stuff where it's like oh maybe that was inspired from the disney version because the disney version in these scenes also mm-hmm. moved away a little bit from what the the book was detailing um so i i think i don't know it just felt like he picked all of the right pieces and then made it completely his own at the same time yeah i feel like these two aren't that tied together the themes of father figures and fascism but del toro said that he tied them a lot together in this vanity fair interview i read he said uh the conceit behind fascism is the darkest interpretation of a father figure the strong man in fascism is a very dark and seductive figure of power for stray souls that are looking at a sort of father figure that can dictate what you do and obviously the themes of father figures with like candlewick being worried about being too scared or being a coward so his father doesn't protect that respect or love him and then obviously pinocchio's relationship with his own father figure um very deeply explored. By yeah. Del Toro. And, and again, one of those things where Del Toro turns it on its head and looks at it from the other perspective, right? Whereas like the Disney version in the book is all about like Pinocchio, you need to obey your father. You have to be a good boy. You have to go to school. That's how the Del Toro version starts. But then about halfway through, right? We have Sebastian J. Cricket lecturing Geppetto about mm-hmm. being a, a bad father instead of Pinocchio being a bad son. Can't you see he loves you? Can't you see he's doing his best and you're calling him a burden and you're, uh, you know, giving him a hard time. So it's like throughout the process, Geppetto is is learning to be better and, and he is learning about what it means to, to love his son again. And, uh, you know, he's coming to the realization that Pinocchio is is his own boy. He's not Carlo, even though that's who Geppetto at first was trying to make him out to be. Um, Which also comes back. Del Toro was very clear to not have Pinocchio actually transform into a real boy at the end of the story, like other Pinocchios. Del Toro said, to me, it's essential to counter the idea that you have to change into a flesh and blood child to be a real human. All you need to be human is to really behave like one, you know? I have never believed that a transportation 
I've never believed that a transformation should be demanded to gain love, uh, which is a very deep and meaningful meaning, you know, in all sets of love and acceptance. But I, again, I haven't seen the other Pinocchios, but I guess he actually transforms into a flesh and blood boy at the end of those stories, but not in this one. In this one, he remains himself. Yeah. And it's, they all have the same sort of ending where it's like, he's, he's granted life by the fairy. Um, for different reasons, right? Like, um, but essentially because like he was good in the end, right? And they, they turn him to, to a real boy. Whereas in this, rather than just turning him to a real boy, he's just, he's granted another life, even though. Yeah. He, but you know, what's cool is, it. but it was cool as death when death grants him, like takes away immortality from him. She goes, I made him a real boy and mm-hmm. real boys die. And and so I thought that was cool. Like instead of turning him into flesh and blood, they were like, no, mm-hmm. he is a real boy, even if he's made of wood. Apparently, again, I have not seen the Zemeckis Disney Plus live action one, but apparently it looks so bad that he like starts transforming into a real boy. And then the Jiminy Cricket character is just like, and, and then they like don't show you the full transformation. Oh, so God. again, one less behind that production. One less reason to watch it, but I, I one of these days, I suppose I will. Um, speaking of, you know, the, the difference in these Pinocchio characters, I also want to take a look at the difference between how these different adaptations treat Geppetto, mm-hmm. right? Um, because in the Del Toro version, obviously Geppetto is grief stricken, but it, it's dark. He's like an alcoholic oh, and, yeah. you know, and he's like very angry and disturbed, um, as opposed to the Disney version where he's fucking happy-go-lucky Mr. Geppetto. It's like, I just want to make a puppet. A, having yeah. a jolly time. And then he's played by by Tom Hanks. Um, and then in the book version, he's he's really just, just very, very poor. He, he, in the book version, he's kind of like a, a medium between happy-go-lucky Geppetto and then drunken Geppetto. In the book, he is a, still a bit rough around the edges, but very quickly becomes becomes loving of Pinocchio. Um, so I thought that was a really distinct creative difference as well. Well, I'm also curious about how these different adaptations involve. I was surprised how much the theme of religion and Christianity was kind of baked into this movie. I mean, just to the point that like Carlo goes into the church and he's literally like admiring the Jesus statue when the church gets bombed and he dies. Um, and then later in the movie, Pinocchio asks Geppetto, like, I'm made of wood and everyone hates me, but oh, I love he's that made scene. of wood and, you know, everyone seems to love and respect Jesus. What's up with that? Obviously in a much more eloquent way than I just delivered yeah. it. But that, I get, I agree with you, Mike. That was like really profound and really hit me harder than I was expecting it to hit me. But do other um, Pinocchios like question religion to this extent that Del Toro's does? No. No, definitely not from from what I've seen and from what I recall, um, especially like in the book version, it would have been sacrilegious back then mm-hmm. to question religion at all. If anything, they were probably pushing religion, but I, I don't think there's really much mention of it in, in the book. It's really about like going to school, but in, in <laughs> Del Toro's version, right, we have we have the school and the church as being these two uh, central places uh, in in the plot. And yeah, I think it's it's the same thing along those lines. I don't think it's necessarily um, 
like a huge it's not as strong as the fascism plot device right in del toro's pinocchio i don't think he's necessarily pushing the questioning of of christianity but again it's just one of those institutions just like government one of those functions where people are expected to believe and sort of like um cast themselves aside and 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 um be brought into the light i guess like fall in line with the teachings and in the morals and um as we see in in the film that's that doesn't always make it right right i think sometimes people use religion as a justification uh for things and maybe it shouldn't always be uh, i was reading earlier that del toro he grew up in a christian household in mexico but he is now he considered himself an atheist now but he did he was surrounded by religion when he was younger so i could definitely see him like putting it in there on purpose in ways to almost criticize religion at the same time mm-hmm. yeah um, it definitely feels very critical um or at least, i also <laughs> yeah sorry i also resume that i just thought was funny where someone was like oh sebastian j cricket J cricket jc jesus christ <laughs> and it's like he's like this like he's trying to be like a moral figure to pinocchio so they're like oh is and then and then in disney it's jiminy cricket jesus christ um wait in the original pinocchio it's not jiminy cricket what's the character's name he's just referred to as the talking cricket oh that's <laughs> not very inventive i, know, I mean seriously. he's He's killed off pretty quick. Oh, that's that's fair. Yeah, yeah you can't, yeah, you can't I mean, kill Jesus Christ off that quick, you know? Yeah, so no, there's good. there's not many inventive names in the original. You know, it's just the fox, the cat, the fairy. You know, there's nothing yeah. uh, too particular about them. Whereas like in the Disney version, they all have all these very specific names. <laughs> yeah, Del Toro said that he mercifully lapsed as a Catholic. <laughs> same same (laughs) so as we are recording this it is the day before the animation awards the annie awards nominations go out as you listen to this you'll know what was nominated and we will not and so we're just not going to discuss it because it'll be weird i'm sure del toro i'm sure this movie will get nominated for an annie award what is curious is that last year uh mitchell's versus the machines won the best feature at the annie awards but Encanto won the oscar and i'm curious if we will see a similar split this year i don't necessarily think so because i think the animation was being celebrated in mitchell's versus the machines at the annie awards and i think that obviously um this movie is going to be celebrated for its animation also at the annie awards and i think it's also going to be celebrated for its cinematic achievement at the oscars Y'all know I want Turning Red to win so, so badly, but I really think this is going to be Del Toro's Oscar. Wow, that's sad. You mean, you mean Puss in Boots is not going to win Best <laughs> Animated Movie at the Oscars? Well, Kate, you know what's funny that. is that Pinocchio is the reason, uh, spoilers, slight, slight, slight spoilers for Puss in Boots Last Wish, but the villain in Puss in Boots Last Wish's origin story is based on Pinocchio. He was jealous of Pinocchio. And so he decided to. Yes, start. they show that scene. Oh my God. I was dead when they showed that scene in Puss in Boots where he was like trying to eat his pies. And then you they pan over to the Pinocchio we know from the Shrek series. <laughs> um, yeah. You know what's funny though? What I was thinking about too, which is why I'm bringing up Puss in Boots as well, is Puss in Boots. And then the, the 
like that theme as well as the theme in Pinocchio are very similar. It's about like these two characters who were like immortal and like don't fear death at first and they have to learn to actually like understand what being alive and in like what death means actually is. I just wanted to point out those of these are very similar. No, they're so, they have literally the exact same theme at the end of the day. Yeah. The whole, I thought that was very interesting. Well, I should say also, I, I did thoroughly enjoy Puss in Boots Last Wish. I think the animation is great. The comedy is amazing. Like very fun movie, but Turning Red is still number one in my heart, but I'm still betting that Pinocchio is going to win the Oscar. Yeah, it seems from what yeah. I've read, it seems like Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio at this point is the odds on favorite to win for animated film. Um, but interestingly, interestingly enough, the Pinocchio uh, story in general has a history with the Oscars. It was actually the Disney's Pinocchio was the first animated film to ever win an Oscar. Wow. Yeah, way back in 1941, it won for best score and best original song for When You Wish Upon a Star. Well, okay, let me double check this, but I think that... Um... Guillermo del... I looked this up. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is shortlisted for several categories for this year's Oscars, including animated film, score, best song, uh, and sound. Do you know which song it is? Ciao, Papa. Okay. Ciao, Papa. So I texted Mike during the original when I was watching this movie. I did not realize there were songs in Pinocchio. Yes. Yes, Um, there are. But it's, I I wouldn't say it's it's not a. Yeah, because Mike always sings No Strings on Me all the time. No, but also in this new one. Oh, in this new one. Yeah. (laughs) And I should have known, like, it's a Disney movie. Obviously, there are songs. Um, But I would say the songs in this movie are probably the weakest I, like, oh, I love the of, songs oh sorry Mike <laughs> I love the song a little bit and I, I don't think of the songs nominated that it's gonna win I mean okay so we're Not up against that. Rihanna for lift me up in Wakanda forever this is a life is my personal front runner for every from everything ever all at once um we have Natu Natu from RRR which won the Golden Globe so that's exciting it's the first in song Indian song that has been nominated for an Oscar or it hasn't been nominated yet but even made it to the shortlist, which is kind of insane if you really think about it. Um, obviously, Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick, um, a bunch of other ones, but I feel like those are the front runners. I mean, I don't know. Hold My Hand has kind of been winnowing out and Lady Gaga has her Oscars too. So we'll see how that so, goes. So I will say this. I, I love the songs in Pinocchio. I think they add a nice touch because it's, it's not a musical, right, mm-hmm. by any means. I think it's just a movie that has some songs in it um that that fit the places where they're they're included um i don't think pinocchio chow papa will win best song um but i do think it will get nominated i'll I'll bet on that now i do think it gets nominated from the short list um really interesting i yeah i do i think it also will get nominated for best score i don't know if it'll win that either but it's a beautiful score and alexander desplat uh obviously has Oscars history. He's very well liked. So it's, I think in total, Pinocchio probably gets three nominations. I know Netflix is pushing for best picture. I, it doesn't maybe look too likely at this point. Um, it's also on the short list for sound. Uh, I would be surprised if it, if it gets that nomination. Um, 
And even though I think it has no chance of getting a nomination in this particular category, I think it absolutely deserves a nomination for production design. Personally, mm-hmm. I think Definitely. when people think of when people think of production design, I feel like they think of the most grandiose big films, yeah. right, where there's so much going on. So whether it's um, whether it's a film like Babylon or whether uh, it's a film like Elvis, where there's like these. There's just so many aspects. Show stopping. Just yeah, because, sad. you know, just because Pinocchio is on such a smaller scale. I mean, the level of work that went into creating all of that, all of that production, all of that set, we said 60 different small stages that they were working on three years of of filming. I, I think it, it would be very well-deserved, although I don't think uh, it'll happen. I don't think so either. I'm not quite sure if the Oscars really recognize it is animation. I do know that. I know, but I don't think the Oscars recognize animation as much as they should outside of the animated category, which is a shame. Yeah. But overall, I, my prediction is one win, three total nominations. I think I can get behind that. I think song is just such a toss up that I genuinely don't know. Um, I don't think it'll get a song nom. I really wow, don't. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. Five. Five winners or five nominations, right? So Rihanna's definitely getting in there. I will say yeah. Chow Papa is fourth in the Gold Derby online. Poll. Okay, that's pre- that's pretty. I genuinely like, cannot remember that song right now. Maybe it was just Chow just... Papa, Mio Papa. It's the one he is that the one he sings with after he's first made and he's like he's like all around. No, the, no, oh. Chow Papa is. Oh, when he leaves to go with Count Volpe in the circus, it's like him. It's when he traps Sebastian Cricket in the glass and like runs off. It's to so join the I circus. like honestly, and he's saying goodbye to his father. It's I so honestly, sad. I honestly just have like such like I only just watched the movie like a few days ago and I have such a little recollection of that song. I remember the one in the workshop that he first sings and I remember mm-hmm. um, uh, the Crickets uh, song at the credits. Yeah. I think Chow Papa would be a very fun performance at the Oscars. Like, I think that, you know, knowing what mm-hmm. they've done with, you know, pulling out all the stops during these song performances, it could be very visually fun. So for that reason, I'm, I'm rooting for it to get nominated. Um, I just like to get like, I want the songs that I know to get nominated because <laughs> when it's a song that I don't even know and it's like performed at the Oscars, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go to the bathroom now. <laughs> You'll recognize it. I will. No, I'll definitely recognize this one. I just mean like there's other songs on this list mm. that I definitely, my mind and yeah. me from Selena Gomez, my mind and me is on the yeah. short list for best original song. Here's a question. Do you think it has any chance at a best picture nomination? I do think it has no. a chance. I don't hey, think it does. I think there are 10 categories. This There are 10 nominees this year for certain. Too many. Netflix doesn't really have that many other contenders is the thing. Yeah. So you think they're just going to like get one in Netflix? Definitely. I Look, no, I'll no, put no. it this way. I don't know. I don't know if Pinocchio will get a best picture nom, but I would almost guarantee like if there was a 15 film shortlist, I think it's. It's yes. probably in the top five of films that are on the outside looking in. It's like the college basketball bubble. Pinocchio is on the bubble. <laughs> oh, they're Syracuse. right there. They're <laughs> like right if you, there. If you think about the Netflix contenders, right? White Noise, not doing very well. There's Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. But honestly, I feel I like Oscar Glass voters. Onion will get it either. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Oscar voters are probably more likely to prioritize 
Pinocchio over Glass Onion. Obviously, people don't think like, what is the one Netflix movie I should nominate for Best Picture? But I'm just, I just thinking think, about FYC money being spent, you know. I just think I just think that the nomin the the possible nominations for Best Picture are already too crowded that I really don't think Pinocchio will make it. If I'm wrong, you guys can flame me after they come out. But like I just feel like there's been so many movies with so much buzz this past year that I think are gonna like already have maybe a lock-in, you know? I don't okay, know. So we have everything ever all at once, the Absolutely. Tar. Tar, Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick. Elvis. I'm not that certain about Elvis. I mean, people love it. Um, okay, okay, know, let's Austin get Butler's that then. getting nominated. All Quiet so. on the Western Front? No. You really that's don't think inter- it's going gonna... to... I think that's on the outside looking in as well. Oh, really? What about The Whale? Yeah. People don't really like The Whale. Um, oh. I think that Brendan Fraser is definitely getting nominated. Sadie Sink getting a nomination and Hong Chow getting a nomination at the SAG is very telling. And the Screen Actors Guild is the largest winning body in the Oscars. So that, mm-hmm. you know, is definitely a sign of something. Same thing as Women Talking got an ensemble nomination at the SAG Awards, which is like their equivalent of best picture, right? Best cast ensemble. Right. Um, but other than that, I haven't seen that much love for Women Talking. So I don't know if Women Talking is getting into the top 10. After the way of water is kind of, you know, divisive. Yeah. What about Till? Till isn't loud enough. I love Till, yeah. you know, my personal. I know, connection. I know you loved it. That's why I brought it up. But yeah, I think Danielle Deadweiler will hopefully get nominated for Best Lead Actress for Till, but I think that's really all it's getting nominated for. So again, like, yes, we say it's crowded, but we're going through all these movies yeah, and we're still kind of like hey, on the only short, like the only sure ones we're sure about is what Fableman's Tar, Everything Everywhere, um, Top Gun Maverick. I'm definitely missing a big one, but we're only positive about like five or six. And there's Ban- Banshees, Banshees, Banshees of Inish year. And, yeah. I want Top Gun Maverick to win Best Picture. Listen, with the preferential ballot, it really could. The best <laughs> movie does not win. The most widely liked movie wins. That's Keep true. that in mind. That's true. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it seems like IndieWire, Variety all have it in that sort of like, in that contender spot. It's definitely not in a lock spot, but... Uh, there's, I won't be surprised if it gets nominated. Neither will I, but I will be elated. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, okay, until then, should we wrap things up here? Yeah. We will be doing when the Oscar nominations drop a uh, podcast, breaking those down. It will not come out the day the Oscar nominations come out due to scheduling conflicts, but we're going to try and get out, uh, record and get it out for you ASAP. Um, until then, Mike, where can folks find you on the internet? You can follow me on Letterboxd at M. Riccardi. And you know what? Because I'm in such a good mood discussing <laughs> Pinocchio. If anyone wants to engage with me about the merits of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, you can tweet me at wow. Mike underscore Riccardi. You can find me um, on Twitter at K underscore Wyatt. I have a letterbox and I have been using it again recently, but you still can't follow me there because Mike said that um, he would crucify me and burn me on the stake. Sure, that happened. Like our in this beloved film. Pinocchio. Yeah, that was genuinely um, terrifying when they're trying to yeah, burn him alive. Genuinely, I started yes. thinking about Game of Thrones. <laughs> also, if anyone is ever in New York City, um, up until April, the MoMA is doing an exhibit on Del Toro's Pinocchio, and if you want to go, hit me up. I'll go with you. Wow. Yay! And my name is Shruti. You can follow me on Twitter at Micromarate. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Shruti Marate. And you can follow our podcast on Instagram, Twitter, or Letterboxd on all three. We are at Chaos on the Set.